Thank you so much. Good morning. My wife, Penny, and I were delighted once again to be with you folks. For those we haven't met before, we're the Hoyles. And for 31 years, our full-time ministry has dealt with the wonderful accuracy of God's Word. We believe, as I'm sure most of you do, that the more we dig, the better God's Word looks. And, of course, as you know, we don't need to prove the Bible, but since the Bible's always true, we would expect to find evidence, right? And there's lots of such evidence. Uh, Basically, during the week, we speak in public schools, Christian schools, homeschool groups, Awanas, youth rallies, that kind of thing. And, of course, on Sundays, we get to be in God's houses like yours. And we cannot thank you enough for your interest and friendship and support that enables us to do what we do the rest of the week. Tonight, we'll be talking about Related to that, seven excellent reasons to believe the Bible. We'll be looking at fulfilled prophecy, archaeology, medical science, etc., and how true science, among other things, always agrees with the Bible, doesn't it? And also tonight, we'll have an extended question-answer period when you can grill the speaker and uh, ask questions regarding what we're going to cover this morning as well as tonight. Regarding this morning, though, we're actually talking about a very different subject. We're talking about a God and country subject. You might be wondering why. Uh, for 34 years, I've been serving in the Air Force Reserve, and during that time, I began sharing for military audiences programs about God and country. To make a long story short, about six years ago, I became very concerned about the fact that not only were most Americans not hearing a whole story about the origin of the universe, they weren't hearing a whole story about the origin of our country. Folks, as you might already know, we have an extremely exciting, rich spiritual heritage. Unfortunately, many Americans are hearing about that. Indeed, a few years ago, I was speaking at a Christian school conference. I was delighted that our God and Country program had the biggest turnout, standing room only in a workshop. But afterwards, five Christian high school American history instructors told me they did not know any of the material I had just covered. That convinced me that we needed to start sharing programs for civilian audiences about God and Country. So... That's why we're talking about what we're talking about this morning as we look at 14 spiritual reasons why you can still love America anyway. And again, uh, tonight after the service, we'll have some time for Q&A regarding that. Before we start, we've had a lot of good questions about the resources there. We bring the books and discs for two reasons. Number one, a lot of them are hard to get. And number two, we discount them as much as possible to make them as affordable as possible. The best reference book I've ever seen by far is by a friend of mine, William Federer, called America's God and Country. Hundreds and hundreds of facts and quotations, uh, anecdotes, biographies, etc., with great documentation. It's probably my wife's favorite book. I can see why. Miracles in American History, 32 Amazing Stories of Answered Prayer. It's also by a friend of ours, and it's become a runaway bestseller. My personal favorite book, Rediscovering God in America. And then a book, ladies, that men for some reason especially like, The American Patriot's Almanac by William Bennett, who wrote the Book of Virtues. As for the DVDs, Monumental uh, was put out in the theaters. Uh, It's narrated by Kirk Cameron, and it's become terribly popular. This morning, we are not talking about the Bible and science or archaeology or history, but I'll just mention the best DVD I've ever seen on a subject is this one here, Evolution's Achilles Heels, 
15 PhD scientists explain why biblical creation makes the most sense about our origins. Well, so much for all that. We certainly appreciate the opportunity to be with you again. We want to go ahead and get started so we can uh, get you home in time for lunch. So having said all that, uh, thank you again. Can we have the lights, please? Folks, how many here sympathize with this baby regarding the state of our country today? How many are a little bit discouraged about America? Raise your hands, please. I understand completely. I am fully empathetic. We have every reason to be discouraged, especially since, folks, we are being continually bombarded with absolutely nothing but bad news about our country. Why is that? Bad news makes for good ratings in the media, right? Many ministries, some of them are good ministries, they push bad news because they get more money from you to fight the bad news, don't they? Well, folks, as a result, many American Christians are discouraged, and discouragement can lead to hopelessness and people giving up. And that, of course, is exactly what Satan wants, right? In this program, we'd like to go ahead and balance the scales a little bit and see how God is not quite done with this country yet, folks. Indeed, as Paul Harvey said, let's look at the rest of the story. And by the way, if you would please, I'm getting over a bad cold and a sore throat. So if you would say a prayer, my throat last here this morning, okay? Anyway, folks, let's look at 14 spiritual reasons why you can still love America. There are actually more than 14, but you folks want to go home and have lunch sometime, don't you? These are going to be 14 short reasons because we're covering 14 of them. We do have an entire programs about some of these reasons as well as books. And we're folks, we're going to find out that most of these 14 reasons, spiritual reasons, are fairly unique to America. And four of them, as we're going to see, are extremely vital in my humble opinion. These are spiritual reasons. We don't have the time or uh, the the reason to be getting into secular reasons like, you know, democracy or capitalism or any of those things. We start with our first reason, America's motto, in God we trust. As you know, most countries have a national motto. Some of them have a national motto that deals with God. But folks, America's motto, as far as I know, is the only one that is so God-specific. We find our national motto prominently displayed in both the House and Senate chambers in the U.S. Capitol building. The very very first words you're going to see are, in God we trust, as you go down the stairs into the Capitol Visitor Center. Those words are in both the Senate and House office buildings in Washington, D.C. Those words are some of the words that are engraved on the interior stones of the Washington Monument. And God We Trust, as you might already know, became our unofficial national motto in 1814. By 1865, it was on most of our coins. By 1957, it was appearing on almost uh, all of our currency on the back. And although I'm not a huge fan, John F. Kennedy was right on, wasn't he, when he said, the guiding principle of this nation has been, is now, and ever shall be in God We Trust. However, as you know, our national motto has come under big-time attack, hasn't it? But we have good news, folks. According to the latest Gallup poll, 93% of Americans think our national motto is just fine the way it is. Speaking of which, in 1956, it was made the official law of the land. In 2002, it was reaffirmed by Congress, 
in 2006 is reaffirmed by the Senate. In 2011, in reaction to a certain politician who was telling people our national motto was e pluribus unum, the House of Representatives in special session decided to discuss our national motto. They concluded vote with a vote, folks, of 396 to 9, our national motto was just fine. But having said that, it behooves all of us to remember in God we should trust, right? They're not just empty words, are they? We should actually believe them too, shouldn't we? But folks, our national motto evolved out of, if you will, America's anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. It came from the very last line of the very last verse, and that's no big surprise because, as you know, the words of our national anthem were penned by Francis Scott Key. Key was an extremely devout, staunch Christian. And he got those words actually originally from the Bible, from Psalm 91 and verse 2. As you know, Francis Scott Key was inspired to write the words of our future national anthem because he was so impressed by the fact that the beleaguered Americans defending Baltimore at Fort McHenry, folks, they just wouldn't give up, would they? He was also impressed by that great big flag over Fort McHenry, 32 feet tall. That's three stories tall, folks, and 40 feet long. That's a hummer of a flag, isn't it? And the Americans just wouldn't take it down, would they? While we're at it, folks, do you know that America by far has the largest number of patriotic songs that also deal with God? We're talking about beloved tunes like My Country, Tis of Thee, America the Beautiful, Battle Hymn of the Republic, God Bless America, God of Our Fathers, and that really catchy pop tune that's been out for a couple decades now, God Bless the USA. But moving on next, we turn to America's Pledge under God. The American Pledge of Allegiance, especially with the words under God, it's extremely unique. And, as you've heard, it's been under big-time attack again, hasn't it? But folks, good news. Once again, according to the latest Gallup poll, 91% of Americans like our Pledge of Allegiance just the way it is. It was Dwight D. Eisenhower who signed into law the final version of our Pledge of Allegiance. He's also the one who signed into law officially making the uh, national motto, In God We Trust. Eisenhower said afterwards, In this way we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons which forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace and war. While we're at it, folks, here we have a whole lot of school children saluting the flag, and what country are we depicting here? Anybody? I thought the same thing. Guess what, folks? This is the United States of America. The fact of the matter is, up until the Second World War, this salute was extremely common. But the Nazis stole it. By the end of World War II, we decided we didn't like that salute too much anymore. And so we've gone to a different salute altogether, haven't we? as well as the traditional military salute. But moving on, folks. Of course, if you're a born-again Christian, and I'm sure most of you are, our first salute, of course, is to our Savior and Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? 
But moving on, next, we turn from our flag salute to America's oath, so help me God. It was George Washington who insisted that the presidential oath conclude with those words, so help me God. It was George Washington who insisted that a Bible be employed while making this oath. And various presidents, including Harry Truman, after being sworn in using the Bible, they knelt down and they kissed the Bible. And of course, as you know, so help me God, has become an extremely common oath in all sorts of courtrooms across the land, and I'm pleased to report that it is either required or permitted still in every courtroom. And that brings us to America's military chaplaincy. I'm pleased to report that the United States by far has more chaplains, including evangelical chaplains, operating in all kinds of capacities, more so than in any other country around the world. Because I know something about the subject, and because it's been so much in the news, we want to make a quick comment about military chaplains. Folks, I think it is stunning in a good way that the U.S. government actually pays to recruit and train and equip and facilitate and support pastors in the military. We call them chaplains. This is astonishing, folks. The ACLU has been fighting this for years, and they've lost every single time. And contrary to what you might have heard, our military chaplains still have enormous freedom to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that nobody here has a problem with that. But folks, I realize you keep hearing on the news and from various Christian uh, ministries out there all sorts of scary stories about religion in the military in general and chaplains in particular. I can tell you folks, having been in the Air Force Reserve for 34 years, almost all of these stories are distorted or isolated. It's very important, as you know, when watching the news, listening to the news, looking at the internet, to employ the baloney meter, right? Remember, bad news makes for good ratings. That's why almost all of our news is bad, isn't it? And I take this rather personally. One of my jobs in the Air Force Reserve is to recruit new chaplains. But evangelical uh, young seminarians and pastors are reluctant to become even reserve chaplains because of the horror stories that they've been hearing. I'll never forget a couple years ago at Randolph Air Force Base, I was giving a briefing to 40 new Air Force chaplains. Afterwards, this young first lieutenant, about 25 years old, he came up to me, he grabbed my hand with a death grip. With tears in his eyes, he said, Sir, thank you for setting the record straight. My denomination was about to pull my endorsement for being a chaplain. I can go back to them and tell them what they've been hearing is almost all bogus. I can become an Air Force chaplain after all. So, folks, if you think of it, please keep praying for our military in general and for our chaplains in particular. Speaking of prayer, that brings us to, in my opinion, the first of four very, very vital things about America. Four things I think that if our country is still known for, God won't be quite done with us yet. We turn to America's prayer. 
You might recall uh, a couple years ago, we talked about American prayer power during history. Cases of apparently when Americans prayed and God apparently thought these particular prayers were justified and he answered those prayers. As you know from your pastor's preaching and teaching, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be given unto you. Folks, do you realize that except for Israel, the United States is the only country on earth that has an official, national, reoccurring, annual day of prayer? And the history of this, folks, is remarkable. For the sake of time, I'll let you read these quotations on your own. Some of our founding fathers were a teeny bit wordy, weren't they? It was George Washington who authorized the first national day of prayer. It was John Adams who institutionalized a national day of prayer. It was James Madison, called the architect of the Constitution, who popularized a national day of prayer. Fast forward for the sake of time, Abraham Lincoln. He formalized the National Day of Prayer. It was Harry Truman, though, who legalized the National Day of Prayer back in 1952. And it was Ronald Reagan who standardized the National Day of Prayer. We're glad he did that because it kept floating around the calendar, folks. Nobody knew for sure when it was going to be. So he decided it'd be on the first Thursday of the month of May every year. I'm reminded of the words of the second George Bush, who said regarding this, Pray as if all depends upon God, for it does, but work as if all depends upon us, for it does. Folks, I truly believe as long as Americans keep praying, God won't be quite done with this country yet. But secondly, my second, I think, very vital reason why we can keep loving our country That would bring us to America's book, the Bible. As you know, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Tonight, we'll be looking at part one of a two-part series regarding great reasons to trust in the Word of God. And again, we hope that you come tonight as we talk about some really fascinating things, again, like fulfilled prophecy, for example, archaeology, etc. Back to the Bible for now, for this morning. I think it's fascinating, folks. Who said the Bible is the cornerstone of liberty? Believe it or not, that so-called deist, Thomas Jefferson. Or... Patriotic Patrick Henry, he said the Bible is worth more than all other books which have ever been written. George Washington, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. He had his shortcomings, but Andrew Jackson said, that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. Abraham Lincoln, the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior is communicated to us through this book. Ulysses S. Grant, to the influence of this book, the Bible, are we indebted, and to this we must look as our guide in the future. Fast forward for the sake of time. One of my favorite presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, he said, The teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure ourselves what that life would be if these standards were removed. Again, fast-forwarding, 
Justice David Brewer, U.S. Supreme Court, the American nation is based upon and permeated by the principles of the Bible. Again, I don't agree with everything he said or did either, but I like this statement. We cannot read the history of our nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in the advances of the Republic, FDR. Ronald Reagan, of the many influences that have shaped the United States into a distinctive nation and people, none may be said to be more more fundamental and enduring than the Bible. Even Newsweek magazine folks stated, now historians are discovering that the Bible, perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. And of course, they don't teach that in most schools, do they? Folks, as you know, our country's got serious problems, not just political and economical, but moral and spiritual. But you know what? In spite all of our sins and shortcomings and blunders, you know what? The United States translates, publishes, and distributes more copies of the Bible than the entire rest of the world put together. God has still got a use for this country, folks. Don't write it off just quite yet. Indeed, America is the main reason why the Bible is the number one best-selling book on the planet Earth. I truly believe there's still some spiritual tread left on America's tires that God can use if we don't give up. Well, for the sake of time, though, that brings us to the third of what I think are three or four very vital reasons that we should consider regarding our country and its future, four very vital reasons why we can still love America. We turn to America's gospel missions. As you know, the Great Commission states, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. My wife and I, like many of you, folks, we're big on missions. Uh, my wife Penny has been on a number of mission trips, including uh, trips to the Philippines and Bangladesh, as well as uh, Moldova. And folks, once again, our country got serious problems, right? But you know what? The United States spends more money on gospel missions than the entire rest of the world put together. America sends more missionaries by far than any other country on the face of the earth. You know, when I was doing research for this program, I came across an online article from Reuters. And Reuters, as you know, is a very liberal, secular news organization, right? They had a front page, so to speak, article regarding foreign missionaries. And folks, I got choked up. In fact, I should probably highlight the quotation At any rate, in that article, it said, if you go overseas and you come across a missionary, that missionary will almost inevitably be an American. Once again, folks, God still has a use for this country, doesn't he? If we keep focusing upon him. Last but not least of the four really, really important things to consider, in my opinion, America's war, the nation of Israel. As you probably already know, God stated, I will bless them that bless thee, referring to Israel, and curse him that curseth thee. Wow, there are a lot of people cursing Israel, aren't there? Israel has been in almost constant warfare ever since it miraculously rose from the ashes once again back in 1948. 
Israel has been in five major wars since that time for its very survival. It's not unusual to go to a kibbutz in Israel and see even the teenage girls going to school armed with AK-47 and M-16 automatic rifles. There is an upside to this, though, folks. In Israel, teenage boys are very polite to teenage girls. (laughs) Anyway, folks, by far, by far, the most desperate war Israel ever fought wasn't the 1948 war or 1967 war. It was the 1973 Yom Kippur War. In reaction to the previous defeats, Egypt and Syria launched a massive surprise one-two attack against the Israelis. Their attack was incredibly successful. The Israelis lost a staggering number of troops, aircraft, and armored vehicles. Golda Meir cried out to the UN and said, please do something. We are about to be overrun. There will be another holocaust. The world turned its back on Israel. Britain and France took the side of the Arabs because of the oil. Only one nation stepped up to the plate, folks, the United States of America. For one thing, it was called Operation Nickel Grass. Folks, this would make a movie nobody ever believe. Indeed, if you're interested during Q&A tonight, I can share with you some very dramatic episodes and some very funny episodes from Operation Nickel Grass. The U.S. Air Force was asked to ship 22,000 tons of desperately needed ammunition and supplies to the beleaguered Israeli army. Every hour on the hour at Lod Airport, an Air Force transport was landing with vital supplies. It took 567 flights, an hour at a time, for an entire month. And each trip was a 13,000-mile round trip. Um, I'm looking at my watch. I think... You want to hear one quick story? Among others we could share, folks, some of them are really quite funny. Uh, One of my favorites, Moshe Dayan, the defense minister, came to Golda Meir and said, Golda, basically he said, I regret to inform you that we're almost out of heavy artillery ammunition. We cannot hold our lines. By tomorrow morning, the enemy will be across our frontier. Golda Meir said, Moshi, what do you need? And he said, well, we need more heavy artillery ammunition. Golda smiled. Three hours later, the first American aircraft landed a C-5A from Travis Air Force Base. Aboard, 91 tons of heavy artillery ammunition. The following morning, folks, the Israelis held their lines. Reader's Digest called this the airlift that saved Israel, which is the usual title you'll see in any books or articles about this. Golda Meir said, For generations to come, all will be told of the miracle of the immense planes from the United States that meant life for our people. The Israelis, folks, as a result of God's power and resupply from the Americans, pushed back the enemy against all odds. However, this greatly angered somebody a great big red bear called the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union announced that the Israelis had better back down or the Soviet Union was going to attack Israel. 75,000 airborne troops were being readied by the Soviets to attack the Israelis. The American response didn't say a word. Now, 
regardless of what you might think or not think about Richard Nixon, folks, when he was told about this, all he did was tell the American military to go to DEFCON 3. DEFCON 3 had not been seen since the Cuban Missile Crisis. DEFCON 3 told the Russians... Well, that's an interesting graphic. Anyway, folks... (laughs) At any rate, folks, DEFCON 3 shocked the Russians. Basically, the Americans were saying, if you attack Israel, we're going to nuke you. The experts I've talked to, folks, tell me that we came closer to Armageddon then than we did during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Soviets backed down. Folks, I truly believe as long as America supports Israel, once again, God will have a use for us. And I admit, in the past few years, I've almost had a heart attack over some of the things I was hearing coming out of Washington, D.C. But by the grace of God and severe political pressure, our country hasn't done anything really, really stupid involving Israel. And we've got to pray it never does. Folks, I don't think God is going to pull the plug in our country quite yet, as long as we support his chosen people, Israel. Well, we could go on and on about those four very vital things, in my opinion, prayer, power, the Bible, gospel missions, and Israel. But we move on, folks, for the sake of time, to America's generosity. Let's face it, folks. America is the most materialistic nation on earth, isn't it? We love buying stuff. We love spending money. But you know what? America is also the most generous country on earth. We love supporting charities. And indeed, folks, we're not just talking about spending money, but spending time in terms of volunteering for things and shedding our national blood, right, to help others around the world. We're not talking about just private charity and generosity, but government charity, which can sometimes be quite controversial, domestic charity and generosity, as well as foreign generosity, secular as well as Christian, and social as well as, I think, the most important evangelistic generosity. Next, though, we come to an area that's potentially controversial. And at first you might react, what are you talking about? But bear with me, will you? We now turn to another reason why you can still love America, and that being America's morality. And you might be thinking, what on earth? Our country is sinful. It's disgraceful. It's awful. I agree. Folks, nobody was more disappointed than I was regarding, for example, the repeal of DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. And I was appalled at the rainbow-colored White House. But folks, crunch the numbers. I spent days doing this. I was pleasantly shocked. If you think things are bad here, you go overseas. We don't hold a candle regarding immorality compared to most other countries. Now, there are exceptions. According to my research, things are more moral in your Mideastern theocratic countries and in your communist dictatorships. These countries have less immorality, apparently. But may I ask you a question? How many here can't wait to move to Iran? Anybody? (laughs) Nobody wants... They're more moral over there. (laughs) They'll cut off your hand if you steal something. (laughs) 
Nobody. How about North Korea? Nobody wants to move to North Korea, even though they're more moral over there than we are. You know, I love speaking to foreigners, either when they're in our country or I'm in their country, and I like to ask them about American immorality. Do you know what? Almost every single time they laugh in my face. And they tell me, you Americans are old-fashioned, you're unsophisticated, you're prudes, you're Puritans, you're rigid, you're uptight. Well, folks, to make things even more uh, concrete, again, I mean, I almost literally held my breath. I decided to do some research on the ten most wicked cities on the planet Earth, especially known for the red light districts. I was praying to God there'd be no more than four American cities on the list. I was hoping for just two, okay? I was afraid there'd be maybe six American cities on the list, right? I crunched the numbers, folks. You want to see my list? And actually, it was easier than you might think. There are travel agencies that actually here have wicked city tours. They will send you all over the world to the wickedest places. Here's the list. Now, folks, what is shocking beyond all belief when you look at that list? Anybody? We're not on it. We don't have a single city on the wicked city list. Isn't that great? Now, the first seven in the yellow, I found in every single wicked city list. Every single one. Okay? The bottom three in the white are in almost all the wicked city lists. Okay? On one list, I did find San Francisco. It came in number 11, though, folks. Even San Francisco didn't make the cut. So, folks, as wicked as things are in our country... Things could be even worse, just to put things in perspective, all right? You know, morally and spiritually, folks, we're going downhill, but we're not quite dead yet, are we? Which behooves God's people in America to be salt and light until the Lord Jesus Christ comes and makes things right, correct? Well, that brings us to America's faith. And folks, it is a fact of history that's being denied that folks... America was founded as a Christian nation. It's a done deal, all right? And, of course, it's not nearly as Christian as it once was, but it's still the most significant and influential Christian nation on earth. Patrick Henry, what did he say? This great nation was founded by whom, everybody? Benjamin Franklin, the so-called deist, he said... History will afford frequent opportunities of showing the necessity and the excellency of the what nation, of the what religion, folks? Christian religion, above all others. By the way, if it's just an encouragement to you, the Morning News Tribune in Tacoma, where my wife and I are from, it's the state's third largest uh, newspaper, and folks, just yesterday, they printed uh, one of my letters, and in that letter, I quoted Benjamin Franklin. So folks, it does pay to go ahead and write letters to the editor, doesn't it? John Adams, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of what, folks? Or who said, no nation has ever existed or been governed without religion, nor can be. The Christian religion is the best religion that has ever been given to man. Who said that? Thomas Jefferson. As we said last time we got to be with you folks, 
Jefferson and Franklin are considered our top deist. A deist back then was somebody who believed God made everything and then just walked away. Well, folks, Jefferson and Franklin were huge on prayer. They were huge on the providence of God. They weren't very good deists now, were they? James Madison, the Christian religion in its purity is the basis and the source of all genuine freedom in government. By the way, I feel sorry for Madison because virtually nobody knows who he was. But everybody's heard of his wife, Dolly. Famous for Dolly Madison cupcakes. Famous for popularizing ice cream. But a few years ago, we mentioned this, folks. Who remembers what was her really weird favorite flavor? Anybody? Oyster. What is a lovely pale yellow color to it? <laughs> Moving on. U.S. Congress ruled in 1853 there is no substitute for what, folks? The U.S. Supreme Court, 1892. This is a what, folks? In 1931, folks, it again ruled, we are a Christian people. Woodrow Wilson said, America was born a Christian nation. Harry Truman, this is a Christian nation. The list goes on and on and on, folks. Despite what we're being told in school, this nation was founded upon Christian principles, wasn't it? Truly, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. That brings us to... America's heritage, and you might recall several years ago, we talked about the people, places, papers, and prayer of America's spiritual heritage. Uh, for right now, for the sake of time, and because we already covered that before, may I uh, quickly uh, refer you to one of my favorite examples from American heritage of God's providence in uh, America's affairs. If you go to Washington, D.C., folks, almost everywhere you look, you'll find references to the Ten Commandments, references to God, references to His providence and His protection. And one of the best examples I can think of regarding that would be the Nine Lives of George Washington. I'm currently working on a new program regarding George Washington as some of you know, George Washington was in over two dozen major battles, and in most of those battles, folks, he was right there in the middle of it all. George Washington, later on in his presidency, was attacked for all kinds of things, but nobody ever, ever, ever accused him of being a coward. That could never, ever be said about George Washington. And folks, one reason for that, I am convinced George Washington realized as long as he was not doing something stupid... God was not going to let him get killed in combat, especially in these eight particular battles. Well, Washington's survival came at a great cost. Even secular people today know that God was protecting George Washington. The Wall Street Journal stated Washington was never wounded in battle, which caused many of his contemporaries, friend and foe alike, to think he had the protection of divine providence. Folks, uh, let me go ahead and slip this in. As you know, the Purple Heart Medal is awarded to American military members who are wounded or killed in the service of their country. It depicts George Washington, doesn't it? Folks, George Washington never got a scratch in combat. He never shed one drop of blood. 
So guess what? He never qualified for his own medal. Now, the same cannot be true for his horses. According to the University of Pittsburgh, I was there doing research on the Monongahela massacre. According to the University of Pittsburgh, how many horses did George Washington have knocked out from under him? This is a democracy, so we'll let you folks decide. How many think it was seven? Raise your hands, please. Okay, one hand. How many think it was 11? Okay, a couple hands. 16. Okay, a few more hands. How many say it's 24 horses? Some more hands going up. How many say none of the above? Ah, you are wise. <laughs> Folks, for what it's worth, after 10 years of college and graduate school, I have learned if I'm taking a multiple choice test and I don't, I don't have a clue what the correct answer is, I always pick none of the above. Folks, no matter what reckless thing George Washington did in combat, and he was extremely reckless in some cases, no matter what he did, he just couldn't even get wounded. But folks, 26 horses weren't so fortunate, were they? How many think somebody must have been looking out for George Washington? <laughs> President Calvin Coolidge, who was a fan of George Washington and an expert on him, he said, thank the divine providence which kept him to serve and inspire his fellow man. The first George Bush, he stated, the great faith that led our nation's founding fathers has given us strength and inspiration to this very day. Last but not least, folks, we turn to America's gratitude. The Bible, as you know, tells us to give thanks unto the Lord. And I'm pleased to report that although many countries have a Thanksgiving Day those Thanksgiving days are almost always harvest parties. I don't know of any Thanksgiving day, except for Israel's and America's, that is so focused upon God and began with the God of the Bible. I just haven't found one yet. And we owe a debt to these people for that. William Bradford of the Pilgrims, George Washington, Sarah Hale, a magazine editor, and Abraham Lincoln. America is one of the only countries on earth that has an official, national, annual, recurring day of thanksgiving, supposedly, specifically, only to the God of our fathers. Which behooves us, when thanksgiving does come, that we remember it's not just about eating lots of ham and turkey, right? It's also supposed to be remembering God, isn't it? Well, folks, there you have it. As the song goes, we've only just begun we could go on and on and on. But as we wrap up things, folks, when I look at God and country, once again, it's obvious. America's got some big-time challenges. But as the old saying goes, it's not over till the fat lady sings. You know, regarding God and country in the United States, the fat lady may be backstage. She might be warming up. She might be practicing her scales, but she hasn't started singing yet, which means we need to keep on keeping on for our Lord and Savior and Creator, Jesus Christ, right? In keeping with Romans chapter 13, folks, may I offer these 10 suggestions. Number one, vote. Number two, vote. Number three, vote. Vote once, but vote. Folks, most Christians did not vote in the last American 
presidential election. We need to write our congressmen. I get responses, folks. We need to write our newspapers. Once again, the Morning News Tribune, they published most of my, new, my, my letters. This last one they, they printed yesterday. They only deleted two words out of 200. I thought that was pretty good. A 1% editorial rate, folks. We need to tell others the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior, about the God of our country. We need to tell our young people the truth about God's Word and how God's Word has been so important to our country. We need to support good causes. Most of all, support good local New Testament churches just like this one here, right? We need to serve God and country whichever way. Can I share with you a quick story? A friend of mine, I graduated from high school with her back in the Jurassic era. Now, she's just an all-American soccer mom, okay? Never had a chance to go to college. But folks, you know what? She did what she could. She got active in each of her kids' schools. She wound up becoming a homeroom mother. And folks, she wound up becoming the president of the PTA in every single school in which her kids were enrolled. And she actually got materials regarding God and creation introduced into those schools. And she's just an all-American Christian soccer mom doing what she could do. We need to pray, pray, and pray some more. (laughs) 